The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. If you've got your Bibles, let's go ahead and grab them and open them up to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews 6 is where we're going to be. Let me just welcome you to LifePoint Church. Uh, If you're a guest with us this morning or if you're new here, uh, let me just be the first to welcome you. My name's Eric. of the teaching pastors here, and uh, it's so great uh, to have you here. If you're just now joining us, I want to remind you that we've been going through uh, a sermon series called uh, The Gospel-Centered Church, and we've been doing that throughout the summer, and uh, it has brought us through um, our values, it's brought us through God's mission, it's brought us through uh, some different things, and last week, I'm just going to catch you up, Uh, basically what we talked about is gospel-centered salvation. So as a part of gospel-centered church, what does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean to be justified before God? What does it mean as a sinful man to stand in the presence of a holy, right, just God? How does that salvation Come And so last week we began to just really unpack what gospel-centered salvation was. Uh, And in order to do that, what we did is we talked about uh, two myths that really revolve around salvation. Two myths that I see very uh, deep in our culture and very prevalent in our churches. And I want to talk about a few of them today. Just to catch you up, the first myth that we talked about is... Somehow, we've been deceived into thinking that knowledge equals salvation. Okay, and so last week what we did is we began to unpack uh, Romans 1 where it talks about how you can know the ordinances of God. You can talk about the things of God. You can cognitively know the things of God and you can be able to sit down over lunch and maybe have a meal and talk about some things that you know about God. But yet you're not saved. The, The knowledge somehow equals salvation. And so you look at the Pharisees, you look at uh, the religious leaders of the day, and Jesus came to them and said, you know the word of God, you know this, but you don't know me. And so we began to unpack James 2, where it says, you believe that God is one, and you do well, but even the demons believe that, and they shudder. And so we began to look biblically that, that knowledge, or just simply being able to know the things of God, does not necessarily equal salvation. And so then we began to go into, okay, well, if it's not knowledge or, or simple belief because the demons believe, then if it's not just belief or it's not just knowledge, maybe then it's knowledge plus... The fact that I like it. What if it's, what if it's knowledge plus approval? Okay, so not only do I know the things of God, not only can I unpack the things of God, not only do I believe in the things of God, but somehow maybe my knowledge plus I like it. I agree with it. Maybe it's knowledge plus approval equals salvation. But then we got into the Bible and we began to look at a a religious leader of the day named Nicodemus. And he comes to Jesus at night. And he comes to Jesus and the conversation, if you know it, in John chapter 3, he says, How can a man be saved? And Jesus says, Unless you're born again. 
And Nicodemus has this conversation with Jesus. He knows the thing of God. He says, I attest that you are from God. Yet, he says, how can this be? And Nicodemus will walk away and not saved. Acts 26, King Agrippa says, I believe what Paul is saying, but you're not going to so easily convert me. And so, so if it's not knowledge equaling salvation, and if it's not knowledge plus approval, not only do I know the things of God, but I approve of them, if that doesn't equal salvation, we begin to ask the question, then what in the world does it mean to be saved? What does it mean then to be right with God? What does it mean to be uh, with God? And so we begin to unpack things like, like Matthew 7, where he says, he says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and, and Jesus will say, I, depart from me, I don't know you. Well, didn't we, didn't we prophesy in your name? Matthew 7 says, didn't we heal in your name? Didn't we do these miraculous signs in your name? He says, yeah, but I don't know you. And so there's a, there's a simple belief, there's a simple knowledge, there's approval that doesn't equal salvation. So what does biblical gospel-centered salvation? We said it like this, that salvation is the work of God and God alone in the hearts of men and women. And so God through the cross of Jesus Christ, reaches in and brings new life. And so we say that salvation is begins, salvation is sustained, and salvation is consummated by God and God alone. So God comes through the cross of Jesus Christ, bringing salvation, bringing new life. And, and Jesus says that I started the good work. He who started the good work in you will see it to completion. He is the author. He is the finisher of our faith. So he who began it, he will finish it. And John six sixty five says, no one comes to God unless the father calls him. And we begin to unpack Romans eight, where it says, God calls, God justifies and God glorifies. And so God begins to work through the cross of Jesus Christ in the hearts of men and women to bring about new life. And that is gospel-centered salvation. And I will tell you that I can stand before you and I can proclaim the gospel to you until I'm red in the face. But until you hear the call from God, it does no good. It does no good. Because although I will call to all repent, come to faith in Jesus Christ, some will say no thank you. But when God calls to your hearts, he grabs hold of you. He seals you with the Holy Spirit and he draws men unto yourself. So you are completely, utterly, always his. And so that is the work of God in new life. That's not the work of me. That is the work of God in you. Now, I believe that so many people have turned salvation into some sort of chanting of some, some religious prayer. But we don't see that anywhere in the Bible. Somehow we think that just because I prayed a prayer once, I'm, I have a new life. Just because I prayed a prayer once, that somehow equals salvation. 
And what we've done is we've created millions and millions and millions of people who have a confidence in their salvation that they probably shouldn't possess. Because there's no life change, there's no passion, there's no new life, there's no hope in them. It's just I prayed a prayer once, and so I guess I'm good. Here's the deal. Nobody likes to be guilty. Everybody likes to be forgiven. Hell's hot, nobody wants to go there. Amen? And so if I can just convince you to pray this prayer, that somehow you escape those things. Yet God says, no, no, no. there must be something in your life. There's going to be when there's new life. It's not the same life. It's a new life. God, through the cross of Jesus Christ, brings new life. And so I wanted to talk about what gospel-centered salvation is. And last week where we ended was 2 Corinthians 13, where he says, test yourselves. Test yourselves. See to it that you are in the faith, lest you fail the test. Well, what's the test? It's Christ in you. Is Christ in you? Has he given you new life? Has he given you a new hope? And so last week we just ended with us wrestling with God. God, where am I at with you? And some of you are like, man, I am sure glad I wasn't there last week. But we begin to test ourselves and wrestle with God. And here's the deal is when you wrestle with God, it will either bring about the fact that you do know him, that you are in Christ, or it will bring about the fact that you don't know him where faith and repentance can collide. And that's the beginning of salvation. And so we always, we always here at LifePoint want to say, hey, wrestle with God, test yourself, ask yourselves the question, where are you at with God? Where are you at? Where is your belief at? Where is your, your, your understanding, your passion lie? Does it lie with Jesus Christ or does it lie with other things? And so we ended last week with wrestling with God. I'll tell you, biblically and historically, men wrestle with God. And so why don't we? Biblically, historically, men wrestle with God. Have you read the Psalms? David says, where are you? How long are you going to hide from me? Where are you, God? And so he wrestles, wrestles with God. And so upon this understanding that God through the cross brings new life, this understanding of gospel-centered salvation, today what I want to begin to unpack for you is what is gospel-centered assurance? What is gospel-centered confidence? All right. Let's go. I want to give you a word of warning before we get into Hebrews. That is absolutely God's will for you if you are a child of God, if you are a son or a daughter of God, to absolutely be confident in who you are in him. But I will tell you, here's the word of warning. That assurance will never, ever, ever, ever replace the deep, hard, heart work of wrestling with God. It won't replace it. There always must be wrestling. That's why here I want to always encourage you not just to come in and do church, but rather to come in and wrestle with God to see who you are. Take a look at your heart. But here's the deal. Is it so wildly unpopular within our culture? Because we don't want to wrestle with the things of God. We don't want to look into our hearts. We don't want to deal with the junk. We don't want to open the closet full of junk in our lives. So many just just want to avoid it. You want to know the best way to avoid dealing with your heart? 
church. Just get busy in church. Just come and sit in church and do these things and do these things. You never have to really wrestle with what's going on in your heart. And so many, we just want to come in and just busy ourselves. We don't want to think about the fact that we're broken. We don't want to think about the fact that something's gone wrong in us. And so I'll tell you, where are you at with God? I'll always ask you. Because if we're not careful, we wonder why the church is something that we do rather than who we are. It's because nobody wants to wrestle with God. And so God's will for you, if you're a child of God, a son or a daughter of God, is for you to be assured in your faith of who you are in him, but it will never replace the wrestling. Are you with me? Hebrews 6. Let's go. Hebrews 6, starting in verse 1. It says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. And so chapter 5 talks about the greatness and the the depth of who Jesus Christ is. And so that's chapter 5. He begins to talk about growing in your understanding, growing in these things of Christ. I'm going to talk to you about the depths of Jesus Christ. Chapter 6 starts out, since you are on milk rather than the meat, since you, I can't even talk to you about the depths of Christ, I want you to begin to press on to maturity. Therefore, let us leave elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. There's a growth in our faith here. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. Evan, as in instructions about washing, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And so he says, we need to move forward. We need to move on. We need to progress in our faith. It's not just pray the prayer one time and then just do everything that you always did. It's now you have a new life. So let's press on to maturity. Now, verse three is huge. I'm going to show you how this is absolutely the work of God. Verse 3. And this we will do if what? If God permits. Okay, so like maybe he won't. It's absolutely the work of God. So, so if God allows us to grow, he, we're going to grow. And so here we are. Asking God, wrestling with God, pleading with God. God, grow me. God, give me new life. God, give me you. But look in verse 4. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Now we touched on this a little bit last week. But what this says is that for those who have been enlightened, those who have been called by Christ, those who have been justified by Christ, those who have truly is, those who have been enlightened, those who have tasted and seen the things of God, those who have experienced the Holy Spirit, it is impossible for them to truly fall away then. The question is not, can you lose your salvation? We talked about it last week. The question is, are you truly his? 
Because we believe if you're truly his, you will always be his. Are you, are you following me? And so here's the deal. He says it is impossible if you're truly his to lose that. It says no one can snatch you out of my father's hand. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Romans 8, not height, nor depth, nor, nor age, nor will of man, nor nothing can take you out of me. And this is saying, once you've truly tasted, once you've truly been enlightened in your heart, he, he's yours and you're his. There's no going back. All right, how can you say that, Eric? I'm glad you asked. Verse 7. He's going to tell a story or paint a picture for us. Verse 7. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near being cursed. And in the end, it is to be burned. Now, here's the picture. Rain falls. No one would argue that rain is not an act of God. No one can make it rain. And so an act of God comes, rain comes, rain falls. We see the rain and say, that is God raining on all the land. Rains on us, rains on you, rains on me, and it rains over all the land. But it says, upon the land, as the rain falls, some of the land produces what? Up, which is good. And then it says that some of the land produces what? Thorns and thistles. And so here's the picture. There is an act of God as it rains, it falls on the land, it falls on the hearts of men. Some men produce a crop, others produce thorns. It did not say that some of the land produced a crop and then the crop died and then thorns and thistles come. That's not what it said. It says some produce a crop, some produce thorns and thistles, some blessed, some cursed. And so you got to get this picture. An act of God, a hand of God is the rain. It falls on the hearts of men and women. Now listen, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just reading the Bible to you. But if you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear this. What this is saying is that it is possible for you to experience rain. It is possible for you to experience the hand of God. It's possible for you to go out and dance in the rain. It's possible for you to open up your mouth and drink the rain. It is possible for you to experience the things of God, the works of God. Listen, it is possible for you to experience spiritual things and not be saved. That's what it just said. It's possible for you to go to church. It's possible for you to pray a prayer once. It's possible for you to sing a song, to serve, to go on a mission. It's possible for you to experience the rain and not be in him. That's what it just said. And so here we are. 
Asking God, am I experiencing spiritual things or am I truly in you? That's the question. But remember what we're talking about. It is God's will for you to have confidence of who you are in Christ. But I will tell you that this comes through time. This comes through wrestling. Because only through wrestling and only time will be able to bring about your confidence. Listen, how else is God going to be glorified in your life if we're always wondering who we are in him? Are you following me? And so God's purpose in everything that he does from creation to sustaining to saving to rescuing men and women is to be glorified. And so how can God be glorified if we're always doubting if we're really in him? So it's absolutely God's will to give you joy of who you are in him and not just to doubt all the time. Okay. Eric, that sounds like a contradiction. Because you said that we're going to wrestle. So how can it be God's will for me not to doubt and have a confidence of who I am in him and to wrestle? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. I happen to have a marker. (laughs) This is how it works. It's the same truth. Have you ever been in like a spiritual desert? Have you ever been in that kind of dry season spiritually like David was where he says, where are you, oh God? Have you ever been in that time of, 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 let's just call it doubt? Maybe a time of sin. Maybe a time of, of wondering. Have you ever been in that time where it's just kind of a dry season? Where you're not sure if you're near to God. And so we go through these seasons. That God brings about. In order to bring new life. Okay. So the glory. Of God sits. In the middle of everything. Everything. And so doubt comes. Sin comes, we're wrestling with our sin, we're wondering, and that leads us to wrestling with God. Okay, so we're doubting, we're in that desert, there's sin, we're wrestling with God. When we wrestle with God, what that does is it brings us to the gospel. Or the word of God. Wrestling with God. God. I'm not confident in you. I'm doubting. I have these things. And God through your wrestling. Will bring about the truth of the scripture. The word of God to your hearts. Maybe for me just shouting at you for 45 minutes. But, but God begins to open our hearts. We begin to hear the gospel, know the gospel, receive the gospel. And the gospel, it does two things. There's two things. The first thing the gospel does, the good news, 
is it reveals the fact that we don't know him. Ephesians 2 says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, following the course of this world. We were by nature children of God's wrath by the way we think, by the things we do, by the way we act. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love that he loved us, he grabbed us, seated us at the right hand of God. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. And so we begin to see through the gospel that we don't know him. That we're separated from him. We're deserving wrath. And the second thing the gospel does, it reveals the fact That we are in him. That you have been saved by grace through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God so that no man can boast. And so we will see and hear the gospel as we're wrestling with God. The gospel comes and it reveals the fact that we don't know him. That we're not in him. that That we're a part of the crowd that says, I don't know you. Or it will reveal the fact that you have been saved by grace, that you are his, that he did die upon the cross to take the wrath for you and for me. And there is a confidence that comes when we're in him. Now, both of these hopefully will lead to the same result. Faith. And repentance. Faith and repentance. And so if we're in him, it brings about faith in our lives. It brings about repentance in our lives saying, I feel far from you because of sin, because of doubt, because of wondering. And I am truly in you. And it brings about faith and repentance. Or it will bring about the fact that we don't know him. Through faith we can be saved and we repent and receive Jesus into our lives. And we're now in him. And so here's the wrestling with God. The gospel comes. It reveals the fact that we're in him, that we're truly sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is now in you. Or it will reveal the fact that you don't know him. And in the end, God will be glorified because when we have faith and when we repent, it leads to worship. You see it? It leads to worship. And so now we say, I don't know him. I need to trust him with faith. I need to repent of the ways that I've gone astray. And it leads me to worshiping God with my life. Or I am in him. And it leads to the glory of God. With a confidence of who I am in him. So, when you look at your life. You begin to examine yourself. Does it honestly reflect that you're in him? Does it reflect that you know him? Does it reflect the worship of Jesus Christ and the glory of God? Not do you go to church. 
Not are you a good man or a good woman. It's not what we're talking about. Do you know Jesus? Are you in him? Because it's possible to experience spiritual things and not know him. Is there a longing? Is there a passion? Is worship increasing in your life? Hmm? Because worship will be ever increasing. Eric, how does that happen? I'm glad you asked because I have a marker. Here's how it works. Here's your life. Little life. Life is but a mist or a vapor. In your life, you begin to understand by the grace of God because God will begin to unveil your face and open up your heart to the knowledge of His holiness. And so we begin to see the bigness of God. We begin to experience the rain. We begin to look at the rain and say, man, this must be from God. And God's grace is pouring down into my heart. And I begin to experience and know his holiness, his greatness, his righteousness, his goodness, and how vast his riches are the grace and the mercies of God. So we begin to grow in understanding his holiness. But then we also... Growing a knowledge of our sinfulness. Now listen, we don't grow in sinfulness. We grow in an understanding that we're sinners. And somewhere along the line, when we begin to know God's holiness, and we begin to understand our sinfulness, the gospel comes in. Leading to faith and repentance. And we begin to cling to the cross. And so we cling to the cross of Jesus Christ as salvation comes. We begin to know Christ. We begin to worship Christ. We begin to follow Christ. And the more we worship, the more we walk, the more we grow in Jesus Christ, we grow more in understanding how holy and great he is. And we begin to grow in our understanding of how depraved and by nature we're object of God's wrath. We begin to grow in the understanding of our sinfulness. And as that journey goes forward... We understand that the cross bridging the gap between my sinfulness and his holiness gets bigger and bigger and bigger in my life. And so I become more in love with Christ now than I did when I first knew him because I didn't understand those things. But now as I'm walking with God, as I'm knowing God, as I'm dwelling with God, as he's in me, he begins to bring about a knowledge of my sinfulness. He begins to bring about a knowledge of my holiness. And I can't help but see how big and how great the cross of Jesus Christ is. And so worship in your life will always begin to grow and it always begins to increase because the cross will always get bigger as you begin to know more and more of God. Romans 11. When we begin to walk with him, we're transformed. 
Romans 11.33. It says, Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Because he's learning how deep this thing is. How grand this thing is. How unsearchable his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has even been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Look look at verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory Forever and ever. Amen. Did you hear it? Oh, how deep, how great, how grand God is. Oh, the depths of his riches. So look at our response. Verse 1 in chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, by knowing how big the cross is in our lives, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds, that by testing By rustling, by the testing, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The will of God is for you to walk in assurance so that he would be glorified. And so when you look at your life, time and wrestling will bring about faith and repentance And it will bring about an assurance for those of you who are in Christ and you're transformed. And worship begins to increase. Now, I will say that assurance or confidence of who you are in Christ doesn't always just simply come through looking at your life of worship. It also comes through the gospel, through the word of God. Romans ten seventeen. It says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And so faith and repentance collide when I hear the gospel. When I hear the word of Christ, faith and repentance comes. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so faith comes through hearing the word. We must have the word. Second Timothy 3. 16 and 17, it says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And I will say that that good work is glorifying God. That's what everything's about, to worship God. And so here we are saying that the word of God brings about assurance because it's good for every Good work. The reason why I will only preach the word to you. The reason why 
I'll never stand up here and pander with you, which, which means I'm not going to stand here and tell you things that I think you want to hear. I'm not going to stand here and tell you things that I think will make you happy. Listen, I'm not in to whether you leave here happy or not. I don't care if you agree with everything I say or not. I will only unpack some of the deep things of Scripture because when we get into the gospel, it will always lead to the fact that we are in him or that we don't know him. And life transformation only comes when we stand as a gospel-centered church, laying bare our hearts and who we are in him. And that's good for everyone. It's not good for anyone if I just tell you things that I think you want to hear. I'll always preach the word of God. I will, I will never preach morality. I'm not, I'm not going to stand here and say, be a good man, be a, be a better woman, be a better father. Five ways to be a better man. I'll never preach that sermon. Six ways to be, I'll never preach that. I'll preach the word because through the word, Sometimes it stings. Sometimes it lays us bare. But in the end, it brings new life. So here at this church, we always want to proclaim the gospel. Because it brings about faith and repentance. Let me tell you what happens if you don't preach the word of God. You begin to doubt, there's sin, there's wandering. And so we begin to wrestle with God. If we don't have the word, if we don't have the gospel, we'll be left with morality. We'll be left with a self-righteousness. We'll be, we'll be left trying to be better men and better women. Did you know that every religion on the planet outside of Christianity says, this is what you must do in order to get to God. And so you need to do this and do this. You need to pray. You need to face this way. You need to act this way. You need to do these rituals. You need to do these things in order for you to get to God. But the gospel or the word of God is proclaimed in the fact that we can't do anything to get to God. The good news of the gospel is that God says you're sinful, you're broken, you're separated from me. I'm coming to you. The gospel is that Jesus came to us. Because we can't be good enough. And if we begin to wrestle with God outside of the word of God, we'll be left doubting because for some reason I'm trying to please God and I can't. Let me just tell you, you're right, you can't. And to refuse to wrestle with what's going on in your heart through the word of God will always leave you with doubt. 
Are you understanding what I'm saying? So if you're living a life of doubt or not understanding who God is or whether you're in him or not, it's because you're trying to be self-righteous. Remember the gospel. Assurance comes through the word of God. It's the reason Christ died because we're wicked. Absolutely wicked. So the cross of Christ is about our failure. And it's only through the cross of Christ that I become a child of God. It's only through the gospel that new life is found. It's not us trying to be better. It's not us living the same life just differently. It's not us getting a new start or turning over a new leaf. It's us receiving a new life. Let me close with this. Assurance in who we are in Christ only comes through wrestling with God, looking at the life that we have of worship. It comes through the word of God, but it only comes through the Holy Spirit. Okay, follow me. We need the Holy Spirit to reveal the confidence in Him. Look in Romans 8. Starting in verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, but if by the Spirit, that's a capital S, which means the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the capital S Spirit, the Holy Spirit, if you're led by the Holy Spirit of God, you're sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But if you received the Holy Spirit, capital S, spirit of adoption as sons, as we, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Listen to verse 16. The spirit, the Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are Children of God. And if children, then heirs. And so here's the deal. Is the Holy Spirit is the only one that will bring the confidence that you need. The Holy Spirit is the one that will bring the assurance that we are truly in Christ. And so here we are asking God, God, Holy Spirit, will you bring to me the fact that I do know you? I'm doubting. I'm in sin. I'm wondering. I'm not sure. I begin to wrestle with you. You begin to remind me of your word. And I need the Holy Spirit to bear witness to my spirit. So that I can have the joy in my salvation that you so richly want me to have. And so where does that leave us? 
right back. Wrestling with God. Asking God through the Holy Spirit to reveal to us that we're in him or that we don't know him. And in us asking God where we are, we're reminded of the gospel and faith and repentance can collide so that we can live a life of worship. Let's pray.